Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to providing innovative treatment options for people living with cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about surgical care for thyroid cancer with Dr. Courtney Gibson. Dr. Gibson is an assistant professor of endocrine surgery at Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Chagpar is an associate professor of surgery and the assistant director for global oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. Courtney, let's start off by talking about thyroid cancer. You know, it's not one of these cancers that a lot of us hear about all the time. We hear about breast cancer and colon cancer and prostate cancer. Thyroid cancer, not so much. How common is thyroid cancer? Well, actually, thyroid cancer is uh, pretty common and actually becoming increasingly so, largely due to better detection with our imaging studies, particularly a neck ultrasound. Uh, so I, I believe the uh, incidence has increased by two and a half fold over the mm -hmm. past uh, couple of decades, largely due to our surveillance and improved uh, imaging studies, as I mentioned. So the thyroid gland, just for our listeners who might not know where exactly this uh, beast lives in the human body, is this gland that sits in the neck. Um, and it produces hormones, thyroid hormones. Many people may be on thyroid hormones. Who exactly gets thyroid cancer? I mean, is this more a male thing or a female thing, a young person thing, an old person thing, a black person thing, a white person thing? Or does it not discriminate? Well, there is some uh, discrimina discrimination that occurs, uh, you know, uh, relatively speaking. In general, uh, endocrine cancers, including thyroid cancer, affect women more than men. Um, thyroid cancer usually affects patients between the ages of 20 to 55. Uh, however, the extremes of age are, can also be uh, involved, so they're not, exclu not excluded. Uh, and it has no uh, preference when it comes to ethnicity or race. Um, an endocrine, just to back up a little bit, an endocrine gland is any gland that secretes a hormone that then acts uh, on a remote organ. Uh, so there are many different types of endocrine glands, including the thyroid, pituitary, pancreas, uh, adrenal gland. And so thyroid is an endocrine gland, and a cancer of an endocrine, of an endocrine gland is a thyroid cancer. Okay. So, you know, I think that there may be some listeners who may have had other thyroid issues, right? So they may have Hashimoto's or they mm -hmm. may have hypothyroidism. I know my mom, for example, has hypothyroidism and mm -hmm. takes a thyroid pill. Does that increase your risk of thyroid cancer? There are uh, patients that have uh, an other disorder of the thyroid gland, such as Hashimoto's or uh, Graves' disease, have a, a slightly higher risk of developing thyroid cancer. But in general, um, you know, thyroid cancer can affect anyone. Uh, a common uh, thing that happens that I see in my patients is that they feel that, well, you know, my thyroid hormone levels were totally normal, so how do I have thyroid cancer? And it would be great if the uh, hormone levels correlated with disease. Um, but in fact, most patients that have thyroid cancer have normal function of the thyroid gland, and that's why it's often not detected by the patient. Uh, it's, it's something that's incidentally found unless the nodule or mass in the thyroid gland uh, grows large enough where the patient can see or feel it. So wait a minute. So, so most people who get thyroid cancer, they don't really see or feel any masses in their neck. 
True. Um, most patients who have thyroid cancer uh, have it found out uh, usually on a routine physical exam uh, where their primary care doctor detected something or palpated something in their neck, or sometimes a family member may notice a fullness in the neck that the patient didn't know. And that goes along with the slow progression of disease as well, too. Uh, thyroid cancer uh, starts as a small nodule in the thyroid gland, and it grows very slowly, and that um, uh, plays a role in the in the excellent prognosis of thyroid cancer in general. So it likes to stay right where it's at uh, for long periods of time, and so it may go undetected uh, by patients who have it. So what if people didn't go to their general practitioner for a checkup? Like, I know some people don't go to the general mm-hmm. practitioner every yes. year for a checkup. Um, so uh, in those people, are there any symptoms that they should be watching for, or is the message really everybody should go to their general practitioner at least periodically get a full physical exam so that somebody can feel your neck just in case? I think the answer is yes to both. Uh, So, you know, regular checkups is the best way. So, you know, Prevention uh, is important. Uh, you want to try and prevent or detect things earlier than rather than later. Uh, but with that being said, uh, because it is, you know, s- symptoms that a person may have, uh, for example, will be compressive symptoms. So if a nodule is growing in the thyroid gland, it can push on other structures in the neck, such as the trachea, the main airway, the esophagus, the main swallowing tube, or a nerve that supplies the voice, the recurrent laryngeal nerve. So some patients may present with a chronic non-productive cough. They may find that they have difficulty swallowing foods, you know, progressive difficulty, or they may notice some subtle changes in their voice. So those are some potential warning signs that can indicate that a thyroid nodule is present. It doesn't mean it's thyroid cancer. Uh, Thyroid nodules are very common, and the vast majority of thyroid nodules are not thyroid cancer. So if you have those symptoms, at minimum, you should go and see your doctor, and they may, just by physical exam, feel a thyroid nodule? Yes. So the next step is, uh, you know, having your physical exam. And if your doctor feels uh, a a mass or swelling in the neck, uh, the best way to evaluate that is with a neck ultrasound. And that will show certain characteristics uh, of a thyroid nodule if it's present that may indicate further investigation with a biopsy that may be necessary. So you said a minute ago that most thyroid nodules are completely benign. They're not cancer. Yes. But there is a subset of them that are cancer. Correct. So how do you tell the difference? Um, So most of it, uh, the best way to uh, stratify these nodules or kind of put them in the profile of what their risk of actually being cancer is, is looking at them on imaging. And the best imaging uh, modality for thyroid cancer is a thyroid ultrasound. Certain characteristics on the ultrasound increase the risk of a nodule being cancerous, such as irregular borders to the nodule, internal calcifications, or if a nodule is larger than a centimeter. Um, So if any of those criteria are present, usually the next step is a needle biopsy uh, so that we can get a tissue sample and determine whether or not it is indeed a thyroid cancer or just a benign nodule. Okay. So we, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about different kinds of cancers and oftentimes different kinds of biopsies. Tell me more about this needle biopsy. Are we talking about one of these tiny little fine needle things? Or are we talking about one of these big core needles? What, what kind of a needle exactly are people going to put in my neck if I've got a thyroid nodule? And do they do that with me awake or am I asleep? How does that work exactly? Yes, so the needle itself is a very fine, uh, small needle, uh, oftentimes much smaller than the type of needle you would get if you had a blood draw or need an uh, intravenous catheter place. So uh, what happens 
happens is you go to your uh, radiologists, sometimes endocrinologists perform the procedure, and they usually anesthetize the neck area, the skin, with some lidocaine. So the needle that is used for lidocaine is about the same size needle that is used to do the biopsy. Uh, once they have adequate numbing of the skin, um, and then they proceed with the needle biopsy. So it's largely uh, a painless procedure, maybe a little bit of discomfort, but nothing to be afraid of. Right. You don't need to take time off work or anything like that. Not at all. Okay. So you go and you have this done. How long does it take to get the results? Typically about 72 business days, we uh, we say. so. business hours. <laughs> business hours, yeah. yes, I'm sorry, 72 business hours. So usually what I tell patients is, uh, you know, expect to have results about a week from the time that they go in and have their uh, procedure done. Uh, and so usually the, ref- the doctor that ordered the uh, test will contact the patient and go over the results of the biopsy. Uh, if the biopsy is negative, meaning non-cancerous, and the patient doesn't really have many symptoms, there's nothing further that needs to be done. Uh, if the biopsy confirms that there's a thyroid cancer present, then they usually get referred to an endocrine surgeon or a thyroid surgeon uh, to go over what the next steps would be. Is there ever a category in the between which is uh, kind of wishy-washy or we're not sure? Yes, there is. There's a, a category of indeterminate uh, nodules, and that varies from uh, something called a follicular lesion of uh, unknown significance or atypia of unknown significance, but it all means that with the needle aspiration, some cells look abnormal, some cells look like normal thyroid cells, and so it's hard to stratify those nodules into uh, a, a proper risk category. For those particular nodules, additional genetic testing, which can be performed from the same uh, needle biopsy uh, components. Uh, Additional uh, genetic testing is performed to kind of determine whether or not this is more likely to be a cancer or not. Genetic testing. So when we talk about genetic testing, I find that that's often a term that gets confused a lot. Like a lot of people think that genetic testing is the blood test that you have done that tells you about your cancer predisposition. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about sounds like it's more looking at the genes of the cells in the aspirate of the fine needle biopsy that was done. Is that right? Absolutely. And they both are types of genetic testing. And certainly, yes, uh, you know, blood samples can be taken to perform genetic testing. But this particular type is using the cells that were aspirated from that uh, needle biopsy to do some molecular testing to determine whether or not this nodule is more likely to be a cancer versus not. So if you get this Mm -hmm. wishy-washy, they do this additional test. Yes. And that is, is that test a definitive black and white, yes, it's cancer, no, it's not cancer? Or does that also have the possibility of still being wishy-washy and you needing a bigger sample taken, for example, to clarify, is this cancer or not? So there are different types of genetic testing that can, that can be done on the needle biopsy. Uh, some are a panel of different uh, genes that are uh, known to uh, carry a risk, a higher risk for cancer. And in those cases, uh, oftentimes you get back that there's a high suspicion for cancer and we treat that like a cancer. Sometimes you can get back that it is indeterminate and so you're stuck with where to go from here. Uh, what we like, there's one test called BRAF testing, which initially uh, when it came out, it was thought that if uh, 
thyroid cancer was positive for BRAF, then that um, was a worse prognosis than if the thyroid cancer was BRAF negative. And that panned out to not be so true. Um, what it shows is that there may be more lymph node involvement, but still the prognosis is pretty good with thyroid cancer. Where it has come in uh, as very handy is that in these indeterminate cases, when nodules come back as BRAF positive, there's a greater than 90% chance that it is indeed a cancer, and so we treat it as if it's a cancer. Um, if it's BRAF negative, we can comfortably say that there's usually less than a 10% chance that this is a cancer, and so it could just be watched. I'm with you. So so most of the time, these genetic tests, especially this BRAF test, mm-hmm. can really sort out the cancers from the non-cancers. Yes. And if you still get something that's borderline, are those the nodules that you have taken out? If there's something that's still borderline, there's two uh, two main options, and a lot of it is patient dependent. Uh, one is watchful waiting, where you know you can uh, repeat the neck ultrasound over a course of three to six months to see if there's been interval growth of mm-hmm. the nodule, and if there has been, then usually you lean more towards proceeding with surgery. In uh, patients who uh, you know, are not so anxious about the nodule, that is a reasonable option. Again, these are in these indeterminate nodules that after uh, needle biopsy, after genetic testing, we still don't have a clear answer. For those patients that uh, are anxious or frustrated about having something that may be a cancer present and undergoing multiple ultrasounds and repeat biopsies, then we can offer something called a diagnostic lobectomy. So that's mm-hmm. the removal of the the side of the thyroid gland that contains the nodule. Uh, we don't do uh, nodulectomies anymore. That was done uh, several decades ago, but what we found is that there would be incomplete resections. Mm-hmm. And so in the case where there was actually a cancer, there was more surgery required. And so... So we've kind of talked about for the benign things, we just leave them alone. For mm-hmm. the indeterminate things, you can leave them alone, or you could have that half of the thyroid taken out. Let's talk more about the cancers. So you have a nodule, you've had a fine needle aspiration, and it either called it positive for cancer, or it came back as a genetic testing that increases our suspicion of cancer. We have to take a short break for a medical minute, but after the break, I'd like to talk more about what do we do for these patients? I mean, is this surgery? Is this chemo? Is this radiation? Is it other therapies? And how well do patients do? Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a global science-led biopharmaceutical business committed to bringing to market innovative oncology medicines that address high unmet needs. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about lung cancer. More than 85% of lung cancer diagnoses are related to smoking and quitting even after decades of use can significantly reduce your risk of developing lung cancer. For lung cancer patients, clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments. Advances are being made by utilizing targeted therapies and immunotherapies. The BATTLE-2 trial aims to learn if a drug or combination of drugs based on personal biomarkers can help to control non-small cell lung cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. 
This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Courtney Gibson. Right before the Medical Minute, we were talking about how we manage malignant thyroid nodules. We had gotten up to the point of actually diagnosing this on the basis of a fine needle aspiration and some genetic testing. So now let's say, Courtney, somebody comes to you and they've gotten the news that they've got thyroid cancer. They are in tears because they've gotten the C word. Mm -hmm. What happens now? So first, I try to uh, reassure the patient that, yes, even though there's a diagnosis of cancer, the outcome uh, and outlook in most cases of thyroid cancer is actually very favorable. So the overall prognosis uh, for thyroid cancer is, is generally very favorable. The most common type of uh, thyroid cancer is called papillary thyroid carcinoma, and patients, you know, their life expectancy 10, 20, 30 years out is over 90%. Uh, so I try to provide reassurance to the patient that yes, although there is a diagnosis of cancer, uh, there is a very good treatment option for it, and that's largely going to be surgical, and sometimes surgery alone is curative. And so it's not even with a good prognosis, that's great, but they still do need treatment. Yes, they do need treatment. Uh, when the, the, the type of treatment that's required depends on the size of the in, uh, primary tumor and whether or not there's lymph node involvement known uh, preoperatively. Uh, so, for example, the patient uh, has initially had their neck ultrasound looking specifically at the thyroid nodule. Once that nodule is confirmed to be cancer, uh, a second ultrasound is needed. It's called a lymph node mapping ultrasound. And this is to look at the lymph nodes in the lateral sides of the neck because we know that thyroid cancer is very slow growing and it's often contained within the thyroid gland, which helps to have the such a favorable prognosis. However, when it does leave the thyroid gland, it usually goes to lymph nodes in the neck in a specific type of uh, sequence. So um, we talk to the pa patient and counsel them about their thyroid cancer, and then the initial steps, uh, additional steps before surgery is a second ultrasound to look specifically for any abnormal lymph nodes in the neck. So if there's no abnormal lymph nodes seen on the ultrasound, mm -hmm. do you assume automatically that they're negative? Or are you doing kind of the sentinel node mapping that we do in melanoma and in breast cancer? Well, it's a little bit different, and there's two trains of thought. There's general guidelines uh, that a bunch of experts in uh, thyroid endocrinology, endocrine surgeons, radiologists, and radiation oncologists have come together and decided that in a small tumor, so thyroid cancers that are a centimeter and a half or less, uh, a, a procedure such as a diagnostic, I'm sorry, a, a thyroid lobectomy may be all that's required uh, because oftentimes you get negative margins, meaning you take out that side of the thyroid gland that has the nodule contained within it, and if margins are negative, that's considered a curative procedure for a small tumor. Once that uh, nodule exceeds, uh, you know, two centimeters, and most would agree that a total thyroidectomy at least is, is required, and there are some like myself where we perform, in addition to the thyroidectomy, a central neck dissection which is removal of the lymph nodes that are closest to the thyroid in the center part of your neck, regardless of whether or not there's any abnormal appearing lymph nodes on, on ultrasound. Uh, we know that when thyroid cancer spreads, it usually spreads to central neck uh, lymph nodes first, and that additional piece of information uh, plays a role in whether or not additional treatment is necessary. 
So you would always do a central neck dissection regardless of what the ultrasound showed? Yes, when I'm going to do a total thyroidectomy, so if I have a patient that has a thyroid nodule confirmed to be cancer that's two centimeters or larger, I'm going to do a total thyroidectomy and a routine central neck dissection just to get more information. Um, the advantage of that is for staging purposes. Uh, those who oppose it uh, state that there is a concern for causing uh, hypoparathyroidism, which is an, uh, another uh, endocrine gland in the area of the thyroid gland, but the risk of that is virtually zero in the hands of an experienced surgeon, as well as the risk of a significant uh, long-lasting nerve injury. And so then why do the ultrasound? Is that really just to look at the lateral neck nodes rather than the central neck nodes that you're always going to take? Yes, and uh, there, the ultrasound can often miss even abnormal central neck lymph nodes because the clavicles or the collarbone is present and that ultrasound cannot penetrate through bone. So there may be some occult or uh, abnormal central neck lymph nodes that were just not visualized on that ultrasound. In the lateral neck, there's no, uh, there are no bones present that uh, get in the way of doing a thorough ultrasound evaluation of the lateral neck, and so that's why that's a, a very excellent study. If we don't see any abnormal lymph nodes on the lateral neck, we can rest assured that we don't need to uh, do an additional component to the surgery with that. But if you do see lymph nodes in the lateral neck on the ultrasound, then do you add a lateral neck dissection to your central neck dissection? Well, we would treat it just like we did the nodule and the thyroid. So we start with looking to see if there's any uh, lymph nodes that look abnormal. Uh, so lymph nodes typically are oval in shape and they have a central hilum or central part where the vessel supplying that lymph node enters. If that is present on the morphology of, of the lymph nodes, then there's nothing that needs to be done. If the lymph nodes look more round, or you lose that hilum or that sh natural shape of the lymph node, then the next step is a biopsy similar to mm -hmm. the needle biopsy of the thyroid, and then we wait for those results. The lateral neck is a... Uh, much more invasive procedure. There are many more nerves that have to be preserved. There are some that have to be sacrificed, and that adds a significant amount of time to the surgical procedure. So we really do want confirmation that their lateral, lateral lymph nodes are positive before we recommend proceeding with the lateral neck dissection. So you'll only do that if you biopsy those lymph nodes and they're actually positive. Correct. I'm with you. So let's say somebody has had um, either a lobectomy because their cancer was small, less than a centimeter and a half, or they had a total thyroidectomy because their cancer was bigger than two centimeters and you did a central neck dissection. Are they done? Is surgery it? Or do they still need chemo, radiation, and all of the other things that we talk about in so many other cancers? Well, if we just do a lobectomy, then usually that's because the tumor was small in size. And so essentially, the treatment component is is completed. So if the surgical pathology comes back, that it was well contained within that lobe of the thyroid, margins are negative, then there's no further treatment at that time. Now that patient will still be under surveillance looking at the residual thyroid over time to make sure that there are no other concerning nodules and also looking within the thyroid bed where the thyroid that contained the nodule was present just to make sure there's no recurrence of disease. So surveillance in those patients. Patients that undergo a total thyroidectomy have a larger tumor. And so depending on the, the final pathological characteristics of that tumor may determine whether or not an additional treatment is needed. If additional therapy is needed, it's usually radioiodine therapy. Um, so it's, chemotherapy it does not 
play a role in thyroid cancer. External beam radiation rarely, rarely, rarely plays a role. Uh, there are cases where radioactive iodine therapy is utilized, and it is a form of radiation, but it is uh, a much more tolerable type of radiation than what people think of. Um, so it's basically a salt tablet or sodium tablet uh, labeled radiation that serves as a scavenger treatment after your primary treatment, which is surgery. So if there's any residual microscopic disease present, this radioactive iodine will go and scavenge and take care uh, of that disease. And it only attacks normal thyroid cells, which should essentially be gone after surgery, and thyroid cancer cells that could still be present. And so that pill that's got this radioactive uh, label to it, mm -hmm. um, it goes particularly to the thyroid because the thyroid is where iodine is. Is that right? That is correct. And so that's uh, what makes it a very useful uh, and very targeted uh, uh, therapeutic approach. Right, because I'm sure that people were maybe wondering, you know, I'm, if I'm taking this pill and this pill goes into my systemic circulation, am I going to glow in the dark all over? But this is really just for the thyroid because your thyroid concentrates this iodine as it makes thyroid hormone. And we talked about it being a hormone-producing organ. Tell me more about surveillance. How does that happen? Is that by ultrasound again? Yes. So uh, there after thyroid surgery, particularly with a total thyroidectomy, uh, the management is surveillance. So that will be periodically with a neck ultrasound. And we know that the uh, highest risk or highest time point of recurrence after thyroid cancer is usually within the first two to five years. So the surveillance would likely involve frequent ultrasounds every three to six months looking for any abnormalities there. For those patients that had to undergo radioiodine therapy, there's an additional form of surveillance in the form of a blood test. Uh, there's a protein called thyroid globulin that is only made by normal thyroid cells or thyroid cancer cells. So again, after surgery and at, particularly after the radioiodine therapy, the thyroid globulin levels in such patients should be essentially zero or very close to that. So we start with that. If the thyroid globulin level is zero or very close to zero, there's no indication that anything is growing or brewing. If the thyroid globulin level starts to rise, then we look in the most common place, which is somewhere back in the neck with a neck ultrasound. If there's something present, we biopsy to determine whether or not there's thyroid tissue or thyroid cancer cells, and then we proceed from there. And so how do you know whether thyroid cancer has spread anywhere else in the body? I mean, oftentimes when people think about cancer, one of the things that's the most scary is that it goes other places. It goes to lungs or bones or brain or liver or mm -hmm. other, other organs. How do we know if thyroid cancer spreads anywhere else? Does it ever? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, and usually that's in more advanced diseases. So if you have an early stage cancer or a small tumor, we assume that the cancer has not spread anywhere, and that's why we're doing a lesser, uh, you know, surgery. We're doing removing half of the thyroid gland as opposed to the entire thyroid gland. And again, surveillance would typically be with an ultrasound, knowing that for a small tumor, it's uh, very, very unlikely to have metastatic or widespread disease with a small tumor. For those patients that had a larger tumor at the starting point and who are going to be undergoing radioactive iodine therapy, they do have a full uh, undergo a full body scan. It's a radioiodine scan that may occur either before the radioiodine therapy or certainly after the radioiodine therapy. And at that point, any areas that are that light up on that type of scan would indicate that there is 
tissue that produces iodine. So thyroid cancer or residual thyroid tissue present. And again, the radioiodine therapy would target that area. And mm. then they would have subsequent uh, full body imaging just to see um, that over time, there's no longer anything looking suspicious on imaging. And the thyroglobulin should be ablated as well. It should A- go down to zero. Absolutely. And so what about if you've taken out the whole thyroid, we talked about the thyroid gland being a gland that makes hormones, and presumably these hormones are important for functioning. Mm-hmm. So if you take out the whole thyroid, do you need to have that thyroid replaced, like the thyroid hormone replaced? Yes, and that's something that we do have to stress to our patients, that when you have a total thyroidectomy, you no longer have any source of thyroid hormone, and thyroid hormone is necessary to sustain human life. So those patients will need to be on thyroid hormone replacement. Uh, it's a once-a-day pill that is uh, taken on an empty stomach or just a little bit of glass of water, it has a very good side effect profile, so not many side effects. In the beginning, there's some adjusting that needs to be made. It's a weight-based medication, so sometimes uh, you may have to adjust the dosage, but usually by the, patient, by the time patients have been on the hormone within three to six months, we found a steady state that kind of sustains them. And that actually um, uh, is the third component of the treatment. So we first talked about surgery being the primary treatment, radioactive iodine therapy being uh, an additional treatment in certain cases. And then lastly, uh, the thyroid hormone itself uh, serves as a treatment in that the patients are uh, made to be slightly hyperthyroid because we want to suppress any theoretical cells that have escaped surgery and radioiodine therapy. So there are hormones that come directly from the thyroid gland, and then there are also hormones that stimulate the thyroid gland that come from the brain. Once the thyroid gland is gone, the brain hormone would rise very high if it wasn't being supplemented or if you weren't being supplemented with thyroid hormone. So we actually have patients be slightly hyperthyroid to suppress the release of the hormone from the brain to stimulate any theoretical cell left behind. Cool. And so you said that the greatest risk of recurrence was in between two and five years. Mm -hmm. What happens after five years? Are they like let loose and No more surveillance. I can imagine that that might be pretty scary for people with thyroid cancer. Yes. You know, so, you know, you have uh, regularly scheduled ultrasounds, you know, thyroglobulin level checks, and then, you know, you're a few years out cancer free. What we tend to tell patients is that surveillance is lifetime and ongoing. So we may extend the time period between surveillance mechanisms with ultrasound. But once you uh, have thyroid cancer, you're uh, under lifelong surveillance. Dr. Courtney Gibson is an assistant professor of endocrine surgery at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.